you should try organic. What about becoming vegan? Don't eat any carbs. How about low carb? Paleo, keto, don't eat anything white. Don't forget about the dirty dozen. You eat too little. You eat too much. Don't forget to fast before you work out. I do intermittent fasting. Don't eat after six o'clock. Oh my God, sugar? Every day, I'm inundated with opinions. And you know what they say about opinions. Please, don't be foodish. Join me, Amy Goldsmith, owner of Kinder Nutrition and Wellness and Dietitian for 20 years, as I talk evidence-based nutrition to get the disorder out of eating. I can't wait to serve you. Hi, Erin. I am so happy to have you today. For everybody who's listening, we are going to talk to Erin Kane, who is a nationally certified school psychologist. Um, she is also um, involved in Les Mills training. We're going to talk um, with Erin about all the things today. So welcome. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I, absolutely. I'm so excited to have you. Why don't you give us a little bit of a history um, regarding your profession? Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do? Sure. So um, I am a school psychologist. This is my 19th year um, working for the largest school district in Maryland. And I currently serve two elementary schools and one middle school. Um, and basically all of that is about 2,300 students total. So it's a pretty large caseload. Um, I do have two of those schools are Title I schools. Um, so that is students that receive, the majority of students in those schools receive um, farm funding for their free and reduced lunch and meals. Um, so those are kind of more needier communities. Um, and so in terms of what I do a job, there is a laundry list of things that I do. Um, most commonly what I do is I assess for learning disabilities. Um, and I assist IEP teams in determining special education eligibility. Um, and that's a big bulk of what I do. Um, but I also do a lot of consultation with parents and teachers, families, administrators, outside professionals, um, people that are working with our students. I provide crisis response. I evaluate for functional behavior assessments and behavior intervention plans and do some counseling if I'm lucky. If I have a little bit of time left in the schedule, I do do individual and group counseling when my schedule lets me. So I, I, I got a lot going on. There's a lot to do, but never, never two days are the same in my job. I was going to say never a dull moment, but quite yeah. a large amount of students that you serve, 2,300, that's a big caseload. Yes. I know where I'm working, we're working very hard to, you know, make that uh, psychologist to student ratio a lot smaller. Um, and, you know, the thing is about that is that we are able to build and budget new psychologist opportunities. However, um, the field is really lacking in applicants. So if any of you that are listening are interested in the field of school psychology, check it out because it is really, really in need um, and it's really a priority for a lot of our school districts that are focusing on social emotional learning, which I think there's a big shift moving in that direction right now. That's actually great news. I mean, I would say within my practice, we really coordinate quite often with the schools, the school psychologists. And so everybody, I'm just going to reiterate, if you heard that, yes. um, you know, <laughs> what a wonderful career to step into. I feel like, you know, as you said, we're really shifting to really um, recognizing that it is um, a, a very specific need. So thanks for saying that. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, in addition to all of that, I, um, you also are a Les Mills um, instructor. I know I take um, some of your body pump classes and, you know, I'm going to get myself in there for grit and um, some of the others. I don't know how you have the time to do this, but tell, tell me a little bit about that. Sure. So um, I grew up as an athlete. I played soccer and lacrosse um, growing up, played college uh, soccer. So I've always been interested in exercise. Um, and until maybe my 30s, I did kind of my own thing. I, I would work out on the floor, lift weights. I did a lot of running when my knees were still good. And then in my 30s, when I had kids, um, I noticed that I just didn't have 
the time to really put the thought and effort into kind of designing my own um, training. So what I did was I stepped into my first group fitness class. Um, and I'm very type A, as you may find out in this next hour. Um, so I really wanted to know all the facets of what we were going to do, how we were going to execute all the moves. But what I really liked about group fitness is that you're able to address every muscle in your body within one hour. It's choreographed. You don't have to think about it. The instructor coaches you through it. Uh, and you know, you get the job done in and out. So I really enjoyed the camaraderie, the accountability with other people and just feeding off each other's energy. Uh, so I was doing that um, my early thirties and the group fitness manager at the time at the gym that I was working out at had asked if I wanted to go to training for body combat. And I said, well, I hadn't even thought about that, but I, you know, I like the control aspect. <laughs> so I figured it was worth a shot. And that was about almost 10 years ago. And since that time, I've added on three other formats. So I currently teach body combat, body pump, Les Mills grit, which is a hit class and Les Mills core, which is obviously a core class. So it's a lot. It's a lot in addition to my career as being a school psychologist, but it's really, truly, it's my, it's my therapy. It's my self-care and it really kind of feeds feeds my wellness, you know, it, it, it fills me up to be able to help other people and see them make such great improvements and changes in their health. Uh, so it, it, I love it. I just love everything about it. <laughs> it's so rewarding. I mean, I have um, similar experiences, kind of did my own thing, had kids, realized, oh my goodness, I don't have time to do this anymore. I think one of the wonderful things about going to group classes, I mean, just like you said, I always feel like, gosh, I make so many decisions and have to tweak things so much during the day. I love being able to walk into like a room where there's absolute inclusivity and have mm -hmm. somebody who's energized kind of be, okay, let's do this. Let's do that. This is how you modify. But also I've been really lucky. I mean, I'm in my mid forties where with a lot of these group classes environments, I've met some of my best friends, you know, it's, it's, when you think about it, it's so cool that you can go into an area where you have the same kind of interests as other people. And it, it's just, it's a wonderful thing. So for anybody who's listening here, do not be afraid. Um, no, don't you know, be afraid. Something like that. I would say it's probably going to group classes, I would say it's probably like one of the most inclusive places I've ever joined, regardless of where I've gone. It's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool environment. I agree. I, that is my number one goal in my classes is inclusivity and to work with everybody wherever they are in their fitness journey, because it is a journey, you know, you could be an elite athlete in your twenties and then have knee problems in yes. your 30s and 40s and things need to be modified. So, you know, please don't be worried or afraid when you come through those doors because if you have a good instructor, they're gonna meet you where, you're, where you are and help find the strength that you're really wanting to work towards. Right, right. So let's shift back a little bit. I cannot imagine for you how the pandemic just changed things for you over the last year. From your perspective, what were the biggest changes and how do you think the pandemic affected kids at school or the adults working with them? What did you see? Well, I think, you know, the pandemic definitely tested everyone's resilience, right? And some people are just more resilient than others. And we know that resilience is really supported by um, a support team of family members, of friends, of trusted adults. And sometimes it's just that one person that's in their to support them. Uh, and so, you know, when you talk about families, some families are, you know, have the means to be able to not just support and supervise, but also to be able to help the child access virtual learning. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the shift to virtual learning was very abrupt. Nobody was ready for it. Nobody had predicted that this is where we would end up. You know, I, I remember when we shut everything down, 
March 13th, 2020, and we all thought we were going to be out of school for two weeks, and then we would be back. And then within that two weeks, school, entire school systems had to completely change the way they had ever done instruction before. And so, you know, as you can imagine, some teachers were on board with it, were comfortable with technology, some teachers were not. Uh, and there was a, a big learning curve for many people. So if the people that are in charge of delivering the instruction may or may not feel comfortable with the technology, then can you imagine how the students must have felt in their transition? You know, and many of those <laughs> students were probably more savvy than many of the teachers with technology. But the differences I think that were the most concerning for me was the access um, to the instruction that just I didn't feel was equitable. You know, you have um, a lot, the kids in my Title I schools, a lot of their parents were essential workers. And so some kids had their parents home to help them navigate this new world, but a lot of my students didn't. And their parents were working to, during the pandemic. The parents were extremely worried about their children, about their safety, about their health, uh, and, you know, just didn't have access to childcare like they would like to. Many of those children were taking care of younger siblings. I had third graders, second graders taking care of infants. Mm -hmm. So when those are the priorities in the family, which is totally understandable, the education and the learning doesn't, it kind of gets put on the back burner. So that, you know, for me, I, I was really struggling with schools, um, assigning grades to assignments or completion grades because I really felt like we were grading privilege and access um, and it wasn't an evil, even playing field. Um, so, you know, into this school year as we kind of merged into the hybrid way of life, uh, you know, the kids were more comfortable with using the technology. They were starting to come back into the classroom, which was really great but they had missed a good chunk of, of education. And uh, that, that's difficult to recruit, recoup for sure. So, you know, everybody kind of handled it in a different way. The cool thing is that we were all in it together. Um, and so I hope that that helped at least with some patience and some understanding and, and some grace. Yeah, and, I, and I, I like how you said that. I mean, we would often say that here, you know, I would say to my patients, you know, I usually have experience to help guide you through, you know, what you're working with, or at least give you ideas, or, you know, this was very unique in nature where we were working through the same challenges and obstacles, or, you know, not the same. We were, I guess, you know, in the same like lake, but we all had different apparatuses. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was very unique in nature. And I think it's important uh, what you pointed out because I do think, and this is not to say anything negatively to anybody who's listening, but the challenges in each different house were very unique. And we're talking about like a significant number of people, kids who didn't have access to food, didn't have access to safety, had to take on responsibilities that you wouldn't even be able to imagine, right. um, you know, and so I think that that's something to be really thoughtful of, like, as we continue to move through this, like, we're going back to um, normalcy, but I'm not so sure that the challenges that people have experienced aren't going to be carried with them, you know, through the years to come. Um, yeah. Um, so, with that, like, have you witnessed um, a change in a kind of mental health health in the last year, um, you know, coping strategies um, or an inability to cope? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think um, just in my direct work, specifically uh, with elementary and middle school age students, you know, I think one of the biggest tolls in terms of mental health um, of impact were really on the middle schoolers. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I was hearing this, of course, with the high schoolers. I have a high schooler myself and I had to wit it firsthand. But you know, adolescents are in that phase of life where they're looking to become autonomous. 
They're looking for the independence. They're looking to take those risks outside the home. And very often they equate their self-worth, their self-esteem and their confidence to how many friends do I have? Or what is the quality of my friendships? And you know, so that's a very important stage in life that we kind of learn through experiences that later on shape who we are. And, and those students really struggled because they didn't have access to friends like they normally would. You know, and, and you're a parent as well, and I'm sure you have the same experience, at least with my middle school and my high schooler, everybody's camera is off on those Zoom meetings and the connections are not there um, and it's very sterile. So, you know, in, as far as the coping skills are, are, are to discuss, the middle schoolers, I think I had a record number of hospitalizations for my middle schoolers, I had never seen the number of hospitalizations or, or referrals for hospitalization inpatient. It's the most I've ever seen. And you know, the students didn't have access to the school and very often the school is a, is a community resource and support system for families. But I think parents were really struggling with how to support their child socially in a quarantine atmosphere kids just didn't have the tools to cope and parents had a really difficult time helping them cope because let's face it, none of us have ever been in this situation. You know, this is new for everyone. We don't have a handbook for this. We don't have a precedent for this. Uh, so I think it wasn't just kids, families were struggling through this. And so those being strategies that we typically would use um, and reinforce, at least within the school system for the kids, just weren't there for them. Mm -hmm. And I think it took its toll for sure. I agree. We saw the same thing. I mean, I would say still to this day, I mean, we have a yep. record number of hospitalizations and I keep um, saying this and I'm sure somebody won't agree with it, but um, you know, <laughs> we have an epidemic from the pandemic. I mean, I yeah. really feel, you know, mental health um, is, you know, it's, it's a, a very big deal. And I feel like in the United States, this is my opinion, it is kind of regarded as the like ugly stepchild. We have no problem or, you know, the big insurance companies have no problem reimbursing physicians to do like a strep and a, you know, a flu test and let's throw some antibiotics on this. And how about some steroids? Um, but they don't assess mental health and we just really don't have the resources. I mean, I'm not okay. sure uh, what your experience is, but right now I have like record waiting times to get my patients into a higher acuity of care, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm acting as a bridge until they get the acuity that they need um, or patients are being referred to me too late. You know, we've had habits right. and behaviors that have been happening for the last six months. And for whatever reason, it was either a miss here or a miss there, or just, you know, parents haven't had access to know like where to go. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's pretty, uh, troubling. And I think you kind of talk to, you know, the many reasons why this is occurring, but isolation is a big deal, you know, absolutely. Um, yeah. And like you said, I'm a parent of middle schoolers. I feel, and I am type A as well, uh, Virgo, um, you know, Same. <laughs> so, um, I would say, I think my kids would probably say I'm fairly strict too. I, I mean, mm -hmm. I like to be flexible in nature and I'm lucky that I have lots of training to know what their needs are, but I felt like, um, in a world where I usually am pretty confident and know what to do, I really struggled last year. Like how often do I let them be on their devices and, mm -hmm. you know, okay, um, baseball is going back and we're going to be in a indoor environment. Do I feel comfortable with that? Because, you know, if my son contracts um, COVID, I can't bring that to my patients who, you know, may be on dialysis or, mm -hmm. You know, and obviously everything I'm talking about is like really shows my privilege, but it, it was a pretty devastating year, I would say. So anybody yeah. who's listening, I want to validate and normalize. Like if you feel like, holy shit, this last year mm -hmm. threw me for a loop, like I want you to know 
you're not alone. And it's like very, very important to, you know, to accept it and know like things are going to um, go back to normal, but like you're allowed to um, recognize that it was very stressful and challenging. Absolutely. I would agree with that a hundred percent. And, you know, you and I have this kind of training. I had a ninth grade, my son is in ninth grade and he really struggled this year. And, you know, I'm a school psychologist. I do this for a living to be able to try to walk the line between being a parent and being also super strict and being in charge of his education, being the micromanager for the classes it was a line I don't ever want to walk again, <laughs> I agree. you know, but I think a big piece of it, and I think you kind of touched on it too, um, was just really for a lot of people with regard to the mental health, they were, we were in a situation where we had zero control over what was happening outside of our homes. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I can imagine in your, in your profession, the, the clients that you're seeing, or your patients are, are looking for ways to control um, some aspect of their life uh, when everything else feels out of control. So I think, you know, when you talk about coping, we have healthy coping, but then we have, you know, some undesirable coping skills that we need to kind of finesse to get us back on track. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's, you know, why we're seeing at least in, in you know, with my practice, uh, about 80 to 90% of people that I work with, um, you know, have eating disorders, as you know, um, and as people who are listening to this know, and, you know, something that I've been saying a lot, which, you know, may sound silly is, you know, your brain was resilient enough to choose a coping mechanism that got you through the last year. So yeah. we need to give you some grace. Like you have to have some grace with this, right? So yeah. now we're going to kind of try to unravel this and we're going to mm -hmm. try to move away from like the maladaptive coping mechanisms to something that will serve you better. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's my thing. I think a lot of people come into my office and they sit down and they feel like they have a character defect or like, why do I mm -hmm. do this? You know, I, right. I think like you said this when you first started talking, you know, it actually shows how resilient your brain is, right? Like you were struggling. Yeah. So you chose to do this and, you know, mm -hmm. the good news is now you're in my office and we have a great team to help you get to where you need to be. Right. Um, you know, so right. I think yeah, that's I agree. kind of neat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so do you think our world is um, tolerable or really understands mental health? I think, you know, it's funny, you know, I've done this for 19 years. And I think about when I started to where I am now, I think people are starting to talk about mental health more. I think 19 years ago, I sure didn't know about a mental health awareness month. Yes. Uh, and now over the last maybe five or six years, at least um, in the district that I work at, we do a whole mental health awareness month. We do meditation for kids. We do put on, you know, different kinds of professional development for staff members. So I think there's a, there's a nice shift in the right direction. I wish that institutions and, and social services would also get on board with that. You know, I think that it's very, it's a very underserved uh, profession, mental health. Um, I think it has a very high rate of burnout mm -hmm. for uh, mental health professionals. So sometimes it's hard to keep mm -hmm. uh, people there, um, you know, and I think you talked a little bit about it earlier that we need to, as Americans in, in the U.S., kind of get with the program like other European countries are on where mental health is the same as physical health. It's the it's being given equal um, power and um, focus when we talk about supporting people. You know, a lot of times, you know, you can go into the doctor and have migraines. Mm -hmm. I hear this all the time. I am getting migraine after migraine after migraine. Okay. Yeah. Let's look at your physical health. Let, let's look at the way that you're eating or what medications you're taking, but also are you having any stress in your life? Right. And how are you managing that stress? 
Is that something that's working for you? Is that healthy? People talk about it. And then the response is, let me write you a prescription, right? It's not, let's also get, you know, a therapist on board. Let's talk right. about referrals. And, you know, personally, I've gone through periods of my life with anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I remember talking with my physician about that. And she really struggled coming up with more than two people that she would refer me to mm -hmm. as, a, as a therapist. Yeah. And she's been practicing in the Fred area, gosh, probably 30 years. So that shows you that there isn't the consistency, right? You know, obviously the turnover, but the lack of knowledge from both professions, you know, it's almost like they're two separate entities, the medical and the psychological, um, where it really should just be, a, it's, it's holistic. It's one thing because the brain and the body have a connection where all of your symptoms and your feelings could totally be connected um, and exacerbated one way or the other. So, you know, I, I think we're moving in the right direction. Uh, I think we need to move at a faster pace. I think that we need to really work with colleges um, you know, even community colleges, putting it out there, getting recruiting people that are interested in the mental health professions because we're, we're significantly understaffed. So you can think big, but if you don't have the staffing for it, you know, what good is it? Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, years ago, I decided to bring um, like therapists into this practice for many reason, reasons. Um, I mean, I collaborate quite a bit with therapists and I kind of know, you know, in the state of Maryland, like what therapists specialize in what, um, but I found that people would come to me for their physical symptoms or, you know, their nutrition assessment. And, you know, as I would talk to them, like exactly like you said, a lot of the physical symptoms are secondary to the emotional um, intolerances. Right. Um, and I would find, wow, this really isn't being assessed like by the primary care physician. And again, I'm not saying that to be disparaging because they have sure. you know, limited time and that sort of thing. Sure. Um, but I couldn't really do my job. I couldn't ask for somebody to make changes um, or to look at, um, you know, fuel in a different way or activity. Like if they um, didn't have the mental capacity to do that, you right. know, regardless of what the obstacle was. Um, and it's, mm -hmm. it's shocking to me that oftentimes when people call our office, because, you know, my little Virgo control thing, I take all the calls and I um, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. kind of schedule everybody. Oftentimes, especially right now, people have been looking for months for yes. resources. Um, and it, like you said, like it should be that, you know, the person who is control of like that physical health or that medical health or, you know, whoever's on your insurance card, like mm -hmm. they should have just as many resources for the therapists, um, mm -hmm. acupuncturists, uh, physical therapists, sure. like yes. as they do with oncologists, gastroenterologists, um, mm -hmm. you know, pain management and, you know, all, all those sorts of things, but yeah, yeah. It's just, um, you know, that's just not the case. I do think we're moving in the right direction, though, which does make it very exciting. Um, you know, and mm -hmm. something that I'd like to add, you know, I am a dietitian with lots of training in the mental health world. I did have to seek all that training out myself, right? I mean, yeah, sure. Um, um, but I do want to kind of give a positive note here that working in this field can be, you know, so fulfill, fulfilling, right? Like you do have yeah. lots of obstacles, um, but you make a difference. So like Aaron said, for anybody who's, who's listening here, who feels like they have an interest, like if it's the right career for you, I don't think you'll ever um, regret um, mm -hmm. moving into it, you're going to have days where you're overworked, where you're frustrated, you may feel like you're burnout. But the the positive thing is, is we all have the training, hopefully, mm -hmm. and the ability <laughs> to kind of recognize and assess. And we have humility and vulnerability to say to our colleagues, hey, I'm feeling a little bit burnout. 
Um, and I think that's different, you know, um, than some other areas, you know, like I, I'm not so sure. And again, it's to, to disparage anybody else, but I'm not so sure that, um, I don't know, my husband's in finance that, that it's an open conversation. Hey guys, I'm burnout. And you know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah. I do know my husband's a firefighter and oh. I'm constantly saying, you know, they have annual physicals every single year. And I always say fair, you know, meeting, getting your mental health physical every year should be part okay. of that too. But it's such a stigma in the fire service. They have a full-time psychologist on staff. Really? I can't even imagine how many of them have actually met this person. Right. Um, you know, so there's that stigma. But the other thing, like you were talking about in, you know, in terms of uh, seeking a mental health profession, the really cool thing is if you start to feel burnout in a specific area, there are so many different areas you can yes. work in. Uh, you can work in lots of different settings. You can be in group homes. You can be in hospitals. You can be in private practices, schools, right. lots of different ways to use your knowledge. Because let's face it, like we said, every single person needs help at some point. Yes. And you can be part of that, which is, yeah. I think, really exciting as well. It is. And I had talked to uh, one of the psychiatrists I work with um, frequently, Dr. Dumitrachi, and I loved how she said, she said, look, you know, therapy is different for everybody, right? She said, you know, sometimes therapy is sitting in office with a therapist. Sometimes it's, you know, taking a hike in the woods. Sometimes it's, you know, going for a swim. Sometimes it's fishing. Sometimes it's going to an acupuncture, you know, yeah. um, and, and I thought that was a really um, good point. And it leads me to um, oftentimes people feel, or I find that in my office, oftentimes people will say, I feel like my, I'm handcuffed. I don't know how to move forward. Um, and you know, what a, what a, uh, you know, that makes me sad to hear that, but, um, I feel, and I was wondering how you feel, like, do you feel like people can attempt to shift their mental health at all? Like, do they have any ability to do that? Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the things that we teach our adolescents and even, you know what, even elementary school kids, um, are self-regulation strategies you know, to kind of bring yourself back into an area where you're feeling comfortable, safe. Uh, you know, we all have a range of emotions on an everyday basis. Um, and we can run really hot, we can run really cold. And, you know, we always are trying to get back to that sweet spot. So that's where kind of, you know, the self-care comes into play. And, you know, everybody's self-care looks different. Like you were just saying, my self-care is exercise. That's where I let those endorphins fly and it gets me regulated and back to where I want to be. Uh, you know, I'm in a stressful job. Obviously, I'm serving over 2000 students. Some days are crazy and very hectic. Uh, but what's really nice is being able to have that routine of exercise to just kind of let it go mm -hmm. and have one hour just for me where I can focus on getting myself back to that center where I want to be, you know, but self-care looks so different for everybody. Like you said, it could be going to get a massage. Mm -hmm. It could be reading a book, like with a nice glass of buttery shard. You know, I, I enjoy that as well. Playing with the dogs, playing with your kids, being with your spouse a night out. So there's lots of different ways that you can use to maintain that self-care, to really bring you back and, and regulate your emotions. Uh, but, you know, sometimes it's not intuitive for people. And so those things need to be taught. And those are skills that, um, you know, you and I can help really work with people to come up with a menu of strategies that, that might work on any given day. I like how you say that and normalize that it's not intuitive for everyone because um, right. that's a big deal for people to understand. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I often say to people, you know, when they're in my office, okay, this is going to be trial and error. Um, yeah. You know, there's no, I always say to everybody in my office, there's no failure. There's no such thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so right. try these things. You know, I think the, the frustrating thing and, and is, you know, trying things, you've got to kind of figure out what works and then you, you do mm -hmm. have to make it a habit, right? Like I, I'm yeah. going to be honest, like, and I am the same, like exercise for me, 
um, is stress reduction, endorphin production. Um, it's just something that I've been involved mm -hmm. in all of my life, right? But there's times where, uh, you know, it's the end of the day and I'm like, oh my gosh, my brain is fried. I mean, and, and my friends and my relatives, you know, that I talk to will say, and even my colleagues, you know, there is a point of the week where I can't even function from a word perspective sometimes, right? Like, Absolutely. Like, in there. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, there, yeah, I, I feel like just going home and, you know, but I kind of do this risk reward. Okay. What's the risk? Yeah. What's the reward? And the reward for me to have some time to myself, really breathe heavily, you know, yes. um, and like just kind of zone out and get those endorphins is always yeah. like a very positive thing. So I, I do just want to say that because I, I want everybody to know, like, it's not easy, right? Like no. it's, it, no. it's not easy. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not the hardest part is getting through the door. Mm -hmm. I always say that to people that come, that's the hardest part is making the decision, putting on the sneakers yep. and going to the gym, right? Yep. That is the hardest part because once you get in there, you have the opportunity to only focus on you. Right. And I think especially as women and moms mm -hmm. and people that are, are, you know, working full time, Mm -hmm. You're navigating and you're managing sometimes everyone but you. Right. So if it's not exercise, something that you can focus on you that can make you feel good and bring you back to that neutral where you want to be. Right. It's so important. And exercise isn't always like I say this a lot. It's not always like getting on the treadmill and hitting a sure. button for a certain amount of time. It's different for everybody. So you, the lucky thing about that. Um, is that you get to define what the heck that's going to be for you, exactly. right? Exactly, um, yeah, yeah. Which is, which is pretty cool. Um, so, you know, we are nearing normalcy, I keep saying, and I kind of knock <laughs> on things when I say that. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm seeing in my office and, uh, you know, and I'm hearing from friends, and, you know, and relatives, um, you know, people have gained weight in the last year, right? Mm -hmm. yep. Um you know, again, I want to normalize that, right? Like Absolutely. Uh, March 13th, the world's kind of stopped or at least, you know, in our viewpoint, everything closed down mm -hmm. um, and uh, stress affects sleep, sleep mm -hmm. affects your metabolism, Oh yeah. Uh, you know, so I just want to normalize that. If that's happened to you, you know what? Um, I validate how you feel about it. Um, yeah, sure. Right. Um, the negative side of that is I feel like it's increased kind of like body dysmorphia or people are feeling shame or they're feeling guilt. How can you and I help with this? How can we create body acceptance or, you know, positivity mm -hmm. or help people move into a direction where they feel happy instead of like, yeah, regarding you know, I think it's a, it's a huge challenge. I think for everyone right because of what we see the images that are portrayed in media um i think you know you hop onto instagram any day of the week and you're like oh geez i gotta go lose 10 pounds i gotta lose five pounds here's the thing like you said we just made it through a pandemic okay your body got you through a pandemic our routines were significantly disrupted okay Yes, the cortisol is shooting, right? Mm -hmm. The stress, the endocrine disruptors, everything is getting in the way of you sticking to a routine that may or may not be quote unquote health, right? Mm -hmm. Listen, I drank a little too much wine, right? And then I recognize what the heck am I doing? Just because <laughs> it's a pandemic doesn't give me a good excuse to like throw it back, you know? So I. <laughs> But like you said, we have the tools. We're able to look inward and say, okay, we got we to gotta squash this. We got to keep it moving. Uh, and I can't tell you how many people, because, you know, working at this new gym that just opened, there's a lot of brand new people that I've never met before. These are, these are new to me. And I cannot tell you how many people have approached me and said, you know, I just gained so much weight over the pandemic. I really need to lose this weight. Or... I'm not usually this weak or my pants don't fit anymore. I, 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 I don't even know where to start. I, I can't, I, at least 50% of the people that have come into my classes, which is overwhelming to me, 
Uh, And so again, like you said, I try to normalize it and say there, there is no, you know, what your body can do for you. That's what we need to celebrate. It's not when you come into my classes and I always say that if you want six pack abs, you need to go somewhere else because that's, that's not what I'm here for. Right. And that life is not, I'm not about that life either. I like, I like carbs and things like that. Um, but that's okay. If you're about that life, there are things that you need to sacrifice. Right. But you need to be cognizant of that. My goal when people come into my classes is to improve your self-confidence mm-hmm. to improve your strength. And not just your physical strength, but your mental strength. Uh, you know, building endurance, being able to do something this week that I couldn't do last week or even the week before. Being able to acknowledge what your body is able to do for you instead of looking at your body as an obstacle for things that you wish you could be or you wish you could do. I'd rather celebrate your body because it can do amazing things for you. And the goal always, at least with exercise for me, is not necessarily to lose weight. It's so that in my day-to-day functioning, I can feel stronger and healthier. I can live a long time. Maybe I can help move the furniture instead of sitting there waiting for the husband to come home. You know, those small it feels small in the moment, but they're so huge overall. So I think from my standpoint as a fitness instructor, I hope to at least change the perception of people in my classes that we're not, this isn't Jane Fonda. This isn't the eighties. We're not trying to aerobicize <laughs> and slim down and wear our sweat track suits and all of those things, right? I'm here to build you up and make you strong in mind and body. So that's the goal for me for sure. And you couldn't say that better. I mean, I, you know, I know people would be shocked to hear this because I'm a dietitian and I do do weights really because that's like that weight labs are concrete things that I can assess. Mm -hmm. Um, There's many, you know, non-concrete things that I assess when I'm looking at, um, you know, someone's health, but believe it or not, I really cannot tell visually when I look at somebody, even if it's a patient that I see weekly, Mm -hmm. if they've lost or gained weight. Like yeah. I can't, and, mm-hmm. and honestly, if you were to, and I don't, I don't um, recommend doing this, but if you were to weigh yourself every single hour, hour during the day, again, I do not recommend doing that. Mm-hmm. We right. shift, shift all up day. and down all day, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. it's for many different reasons. And that particular number that you see on that scale has no relevance to None. the type of person you are, your mental strength, your physical strength, um, your ability to be a good friend, your ability to be a good mother, right? Just mm-hmm. sometimes your mind can get stuck in like connecting it to that concrete thing, um, you know, maybe because you're um, avoiding working through some other emotional Mm-hmm. Uh, issue, you know, but like, I would say, I am not embarrassed to say I did gain some weight, you know, during sure. uh, the pandemic. I'm also in my mid 40s. So you can imagine, yep. like my mm-hmm. hormones are all over the place. And I'm, mm-hmm. you know, in a new stage of my wonderful life. But I kind of look at it. And I was like, you know what, I started to lift weights a couple of years ago. I'm like, guess what, I can squat more now. And yes. you know, what? I went to this was so awesome. I went to Walmart to get dog food. And I picked up the 50 pound, 50 pound bag with my one hand and mm-hmm. I had something else in my left hand and I was walking in the parking lot, you know, kind of carrying it, not thinking anything of it and yeah. threw it in my trunk. And, you know, an older woman walked up to me with her cart and she was like, excuse me. She said, I've been sitting outside here for 20 minutes because I can't um, get this into my trunk and you look like you're really strong. Can you help me? And I was like, of course I can help I you. I love like, it. Yeah, wonderful is that like there's a yes. sense of pride with being able to be like I can do this on my own like yes. if in trouble I'd be able to lift them out of a pool or do you know what I mean right. like that's your confidence that's the right. self confidence yes and oh and my yeah. gosh so great yeah I mean who cares what size pants I have I could care less right like <laughs> oh my gosh I really 
really just go up the size at the end of the day. Are they comfortable? No, then, you know, get something comfortable. Right. But right. You know what I, I saw like maybe a couple of, or it was probably the last cycle of um, summer Olympics. Uh-huh. And I think it was sports illustrated that did a two page spread. Did you see this mm. of all of these women that were gold medalists for different sports in all different shapes and sizes. And I yeah. thought it was so fascinating, you know, right? Because different body types are more ideal for different sports. Right. But I thought that was the coolest thing. And I was showing it to my kids because I think it's, it kind of breaks the, the ideal body of what yes. an athletic body is. And, oh, well, you must be um, if you're fit, that must be that you're really strong. Well, not necessarily. You might be like fit in terms of being able to be a fitness model, but you're right. not picking up that 50 pound dog food, right? right? right. And carrying right. it down. So I just thought that was really cool that, you know, you cannot judge what you see. I think we're the hardest on ourselves and you're right. You know, I can't tell how much you're weighing today and how much you're weighing next week um, unless it's drastic. And if it's mm-hmm. drastic, it's not about the weight. It's never yeah. about the weight. It's about something else that, that needs to be addressed. And, and you, we can be there to help people through that as well. I agree. Mm-hmm. And, and I, that is my hope that we move as a society towards recognizing strength, both, you know, mentally and physically, because, mm-hmm. you know, um, I used to do triathlons years ago and I, you know, I keep saying, maybe I'll do one again, but it was so cool. Um, to sit at that start line, you know, everybody kind of has their numbers on their legs and stuff. And it is, I mean, people of all different heights, all different sizes, all different body types, and you're about to get in the pool or the lake, you cannot predict who is going to be the fastest. And if you wanted to predict it based off of like what society thinks a swimmer looks like, you are most likely to be wrong. I mean, it it was the coolest thing. And it's, you know, very different um sports you know and it's like Mm -hmm. you know I for those who don't know I'm pretty short I'm five foot two right and so um it's just very interesting to see you know people could then go on the bike and it's like wow like that person even though they may be like petite or you know like that person like kicked butt on the bike and Mm -hmm. I don't know it was it's just very a very cool experience to kind of see like, wow, like everybody type can do this and who Mm -hmm. may predict based off of your perceptions or the perceptions the world gave us, you have no idea who's going to win. It's pretty neat. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's one of the things that I think is wonderful about your classes. I mean, I've never done body pump before until April of this year. And I had like lifted, <laughs> lifted weights before in the past and done the cross. I do everything. I did CrossFit, you know, this, that, and the other. But I feel like, you know, you're so inclusive. And I mean, in your class, everybody's smiling. I Everybody, it's such a cool environment. I go there. Yeah. It's part of my self-care. I go there, you know, right after within 30 minutes after I see my last client because it kind of like um, helps with the transition of going home. All different body types. We have mm-hmm. men and women in there, yeah. um, which I love, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's just like at the end of the class, like for those of you who haven't been in it, like everybody claps. It's, it's yes. like, it's a pretty That's awesome. the best part. Yeah. I know everybody claps. It's hilarious. It's I love awesome. it. Yeah. And you know, just, it's so inclusive. And I feel like you are in that position where you're helping to build like body acceptance, body confidence. Yeah. You also yeah. give nice nudges that I need sometimes too. Like, okay, if you mm-hmm. haven't, you know, increased your weight and you're feeling good, this is a great track to increase your weight. Or mm-hmm. if this feels like it's too much form is better than, yeah. um, you know, the weight that you have. And so it's just mm-hmm. very nice reminders for people to understand this is my individual experience. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we're all at a different place in, in our life with regards to fitness, you know, men, and in winter there, but also really a, a wide age range. Yes. There's people in their twenties, there's people in their seventies. Yeah. So, you know, I, that's why I kind of try to make it as inclusive, inclusive as possible because it's a, it's a wide range of fitness abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want everyone to feel confident 
walking out the door, like that, you know, that they did this uh, and they feel better about themselves from it. And they felt like they were part of something. Mm -hmm. And I think that inclusiveness, but also the accountability piece, I think is really uh, special yeah. for group fitness. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool when like you miss a class and you walk in and, Hey, where were you? Yes. You know, it, it's yeah. nice. And, and it's nice to look forward to seeing your friend right there you know so yeah it's uh, true I've made all of my adult friends at the gym yeah, yeah. <laughs> almost all of my adult friends yeah it's true it's pretty cool yeah yeah it is fun so as we're working through you know going back to normalcy you know Aaron just hit on something very big like if you feel like you want to be part of like inclusivity or you need a group I, you know I urge you to not be afraid to move in that direction like as we talked about you can be responsible to shift your mental health, you know, mm -hmm. and, and you know what, it could be baby steps to do that. Sure. But, you know, my big thing is, is I don't want people, you know, who are out there listening to this to feel alone or to feel invalidated. You know, mm -hmm. I want them to know that what they've gone through in the last year is normal. Right. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. um, there's people out there who want to support you and would love to have you to be part of their group. Um, yes you know, and remembering you've got to train your brain just like you have to train your muscles, right? So don't right. be afraid of that challenge. Mm -hmm. um, so Erin, it was so wonderful to talk to you today. I appreciate you um, for everything you do and also guiding me through my um, endorphin production. Uh, every <laughs> week. Um, thank you so much. And I hope that we can talk to you sometime again. Absolutely. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It was really fun. I love talking to you. Let's definitely do this again. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I absolutely enjoyed talking to Erin Kane. She has so much experience in the field of psychology and she is very realistic, motivational, and honest. I hope some of our words rung true to you and I would encourage if you are local to Frederick to find one of her classes and take them. You will not be disappointed. Speaking of this episode, this is the last of season one. We are taking a little hiatus during our short summer to spend some time with our family and I will be back in the fall with season two. Don't be a stranger. We'll see you then. Thanks so much and have a great day.